Good morning. Today's scripture reading comes from the Gospel of Luke, chapter 13, verses 1 through 9. Now, there were some present at that time who told Jesus about the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mixed with their sacrifices. Jesus answered, Do you think that these Galileans were worse sinners than all the other Galileans because they suffered this way? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Or those 18 who died when the tower in Siloam fell on them, do you think that they who are more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no, but unless you repent, you too will all perish. Then he told this parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but he did not find any. So he said to the man who took care of the vineyard, for three years now, I have been coming to look for fruit on this fig tree and haven't found any. Cut it down. Why should it use up the soil? Sir, the man replied, leave it alone for one more year and I'll dig around and fertilize it. If it bears fruit next year, fine. If not, cut it down. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Whether we like it or not, judgment is something that we all are inclined to do. We judge someone's actions or right or wrong. We judge whether uh, judge a person's character or an intent. When we watch the news, we're, we'll judge whether a leader or a government are effective. Case in point, Zelensky versus Putin. You know, with almost every customer service interaction we have, we're annoyingly invited to judge their service through a survey every single time. When a parent happens upon a kitchen scene with an open cookie jar and a child who denies eating any cookies but has got cookie crumbs and chocolate around their mouth, parents are making judgments about what actually has happened. You know, many of our judgments can be helpful, but many can be hurtful. Often the judgments we make demean others, and our judgments can often be premature when we don't have all the facts. Sometimes our judgments are done out of a hurt and insecurity, which causes us to hurt others as well. Making judgments can be a hard thing. So much so that we can be tempted to do something with God. We want to shy away from thinking of a God that judges in some ways, we think we ourselves to be more loving by conceiving of a God that loves, who doesn't judge. But to make God more loving in our minds often requires that we ignore all these scriptures and that talk about God's judgment over sin. In Psalm 9 verses 8, we're told, among many, He, this God, rules the world in righteousness and judges the people with equity. Throughout the Old Testament, we find from the very opening pages, Adam and Eve are judged for their disobedience to God. God judges the entire world with a flood in Noah's time. God judges the people who gather at the Tower of Babel to build this huge tower to get 
to God. God judges Egypt for, and their gods for their captivity, uh, slavery over Israel. We find out in the future, there also is judgment. In Acts chapter 17, verse 31, it says, For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man that he has appointed. We can't ignore a God who judges if we faithfully read all of Scripture. And here's the thing. I think we actually want, or actually we need a God that judges because only then can we make sense of all the injustice in the world that seems to be, that people seem to get away with. If we understand God's purpose for judgment, then we're less likely to view it negatively or to, as mere punishment from an angry and wrathful God, which is what many contemporaries attempt to do with the God of Scripture. But if we understand God's purpose for judgment, then we will begin to see judgment not as punishment, but as an act of goodness and mercy and grace. In today's text, we get a glimpse of a part of Jesus' character that we often overlook. Jesus judges. Here's the thing. If we believe in a God worth worshiping, we actually want a God who judges. What we don't want is a God who judge us, will judge us for our actions, right? We want a God who will judge everyone else. God's judgments are particularly hard because none of us can stand up under it the scrutiny of a perfect and holy God, at least if that judgment is based merely on our moral performance and merit. But as this holy hardship series is intended to do, we find that there is always something beautiful, there's always something holy in hardship when we see it in light of Jesus. Today's text in Luke chapter 13 helps us move from this superficial, shallow idea of judgment to a more consequential judgment, from shallow judgment to fruit-bearing judgment. Looking at what Jesus says here and looking at Jesus' life, we are led to rethink what judgment is about. And this rethinking is not that judgment doesn't exist or that God doesn't judge, but it's rethinking our response to the reality of God's judgment. You know, in the first part of our text today, a group of people come to Jesus and ask him about a situation that we don't find mentioned anywhere else in Scripture. There's two two stories here, two scenarios. And Jesus here is ministering in the region of Galilee, you know, just north of Jerusalem. And he's about to head down to the city of Jerusalem to participate in a religious feast. And apparently, the, the Roman governor, Pilate, had recently put some of these Galileans to death as they came to worship in Jerusalem. And perhaps in Pilate's mind, knowing that a great many Jews were about to descend on Jerusalem, he wanted to make a point about, don't cause any trouble in my town here. Any rebellious shenanigans won't be tolerated. So he killed some of them as they were worshiping to discourage anyone from doing so. Because he didn't want news to reach back to Rome, to his bosses, to the Caesar, that he couldn't manage things in this region. So, in light of that situation, Jesus answers an implied question from his hearers about whether those killed by Pilate and whether those who died 
by, uh, with an accident by the pool of Siloam, whether they deserved their gruesome deaths. And Jesus' answer reveals their uh, shallow understanding of judgment. In the minds of Jesus' hearers, they associated physical death with God's judgment over sin. And the nature of their death suggests that the, the guilt of those who died. In their minds, the degree of a person's sins correlated with how and when they might die. But take a look at this verse in the, in verse, uh, in the next section. They ask, who was the worst sinner? They're, they're thinking, who is more guilty? And we might be tempted to do the same thing. When something bad happens to someone, we might think, well, what did they do to get themselves in that predicament? Who's this? But Jesus points out, what we think might be God's judgment on others is in fact an opportunity for us to repent. We all make judgments. It's a part of our human nature. In fact, I would say it's because of human nature as God's image bearers that we are inclined to do so. When we are inclined to make a judgment on others, God is inviting us to make a judgment on ourselves and our motives and our responses. In fact, Jesus makes the case even more forceful in Matthew chapter 7, verse 5. He says, you hypocrite, take out the log that is in your eye before you point up the, so that you can see clearly before you point up the speck in someone else's eye. Not using a, a rain stick. We are inclined to want to figure out how God might judge others. Figure out how, but first, let's figure out what God is saying to us first. And this is how we move from superficial and shallow judgment to a kind of judgment that bears fruit. In response to this question about judgment, Jesus responds with an interesting parable. It seems kind of disconnected at first. In verses 6 to 9, it goes on, Then he told a parable. A man had a fig tree growing in his vineyard, and he went to look for fruit on it, but did not find any. He goes from two situations of untimely deaths to a parable about a fig tree that doesn't bear fruit. For us who are removed from the context of Jesus' hearers, we may not immediately connect the image of this fig tree to the people of Israel, but Jesus' hearers can't help but do that. They know Jesus is alluding to the prophet Jeremiah's imagery of calling the people of Israel a fig tree. And Jesus does it several times in his teachings. This fig tree is meant to bear fruit. And in this parable, Jesus is alluding to Israel, God's people, in their failure to bear the kind of fruit that God intended for them to bear, even after they have been given sufficient time to do so. Throughout the Old Testament, we hear of Israel's failure to trust God and to live as God intended for them to live, even with all the way instructions that God had given to them to live in relationship with God. And because of their failure to do so, one day, Jesus says, that fig tree will be cut down. The fig tree will be judged for its failure to bear fruit. Yet God's patience and kindness is demonstrated when a man in the story asks for one more year 
in verses 8 and 9. So that the tree can be nourished, so that it can be supported. The fig tree is given one more season to bear fruit before it is ultimately judged. You know, what is meant to happen in light of certain judgment? Through this parable, Jesus is illustrating the call to repentance that he made earlier. We may want to think that, God, uh, that, uh, that God's judgment is for others. But Jesus points the finger right back to us, to his hearers. The question is, are we serious about God's judgment? Are we bearing the fruit of repentance in light of that reality in our lives? You know, God's judgment is this ultimate hardship that I think all of us want to avoid. It's a kind of hardship in the life to come that invites us towards a life of holiness now in this present life. It's a holy hardship. That if we take as a serious one, it invites us to live in this posture of repentance here in this life. And that leads us to rethink what judgment, what God's judgment is all about. So you may be following along so far, and you're thinking, hey, uh, Andrew, you just kind of sound like hellfire and brimstone message, version 2.0. Are you really saying be afraid of God's judgment and get your life in line? Well, the answer is yes and no. Yes, God's judgment is real, and it's something that we should take seriously. God will judge our lives. But no, God's judgment isn't this huge paddle to wield over God's children to keep them in line. The reality of God's judgment doesn't have to be fear-inducing and controlling. When we understand what it means to respond to God's judgment in light of those who are in Christ Jesus. You know, Paul writes to the Romans in Romans chapter 8, verse 1, saying, There is now, therefore, now no condemnation. There is no judgment from God for those who are in Christ Jesus. To put it another way, when we see who Jesus is, and when we see what Jesus has done for us in his life, death, and resurrection, it completely reorients our understanding of God's judgment. When we respond to Jesus in faith, when we trust that his death paid the penalty for our sins, we find that we are no longer under God's final judgment. We no longer stand condemned before God because God sees Christ's righteousness as ours. God credits Christ's righteousness to us. We are credited with Jesus' moral performance, and that changes everything. It doesn't change the fact that God's judgment is real. It doesn't change the fact that God still calls out sin in our lives. But it does change our response to that when it happens. It changes our inclination to avoid God for calling out our sin. It changes our inclination to point out other people's sin so that we can feel better about ours. In fact, when we do find ourselves inclined to judge others, we can really be free to ask ourselves, is there anything that God is calling me to repent of first? What's the log 
in my eye. You know, in light of Christ, we can rethink judgment as an opportunity for repentance. You know, repentance is not just a decision. It's not just an emotion or some rational assent to a, a proposition. It doesn't just happen one time. It's a complete reorientation to a new life. It's a reorientation to a life living from a life living on my own terms, from a life living and deciding what's right for me, and ultimately allowing God to call the shots in my life. Because God actually knows us better than we know ourselves. In Christ, we know we are secure with God. In Christ, we know we are loved by God. Rethinking judgment as an invitation to repentance also frees us to examine the fruits of repentance in our own lives. We can also ask, what kind of fruit am I bearing in my life? Am I reflecting God's character more and more in my own life? In fact, even, uh, am I even reflecting God's character in this particular situation where I'm tempted to judge others? Am I bearing fruit that reflects God's beauty, God's justice, and God's goodness that's ever-expanding in the world around us? Or am I just proving that I'm just self-righteous and proud? Because that's often what's going on in our judgment of others. Bearing fruit that reflects God's character is just another way of expressing the process of becoming holy. We don't become more and more holy to earn our right standing before God. We don't bear fruit so that God will judge our merit before God. We don't act as good, upstanding, and generous, and kind citizens to make ourselves feel better and to increase our chances before God in the judgment. But we simply receive God's gift of salvation in Christ. What we sang about earlier, it's God's grace. It's un- merited favor, and we add and we respond in our lives to that truth. You know, in this Lent season, we, leading up to Christ's crucifixion, we are invited to consider the cost of our sin. The cost was paid for by Jesus on the cross, but God's judgment still stands. God's judgment is a hard thing, but it's a good thing. It's a kind of holy hardship. Those who have responded in faith to Jesus see God's judgment as something real. But it's not soul-crushing. And that's why what Jesus has done is called the good news. Jesus frees us from this shallow trap of comparative judgment. Jesus frees us from the fear of facing our own brokenness and sin. Jesus frees us from running from our traumas. And Jesus reshapes what we think about God's judgment. It's an invitation to repent over and over and over again. It's an invitation to reflect the fruit of God's beautiful character in our lives. So my friends... Will you come to Jesus? Will you find safety from God's judgment? And then go and live in light of God's judgment, not with fear and trepidation and 
judging others, but with freedom and gratitude and hope and generosity and love. Because that's what Jesus has called us to be. We can live lives reflecting the beauty and joy of Jesus, the one who gifts you his righteous, condemnation-free status before the living God of the universe. May it be so in your lives for your joy and to the glory of God. Amen.